Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. And as you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, we come to a place where Jesus reveals a power that only He can release. And I want to talk about this power because this power, as we're going to see today, it is released when there is deep despair mixed with faith. And as we go through the chapter, we're going to see actually two people. We're going to see two different people with two different backgrounds, but with two things in common. And that is that deep desperation mixed with faith. And when you come to Jesus with these two things, understand this. God moves and God releases his power. And that's what he wants to show us in the lives of the two people that we're going to be going over. You know, there are many of us that have been in great desperation. Maybe some of us that are here are actually going through a time of despair, a time of great need. And understand this, when we've come to God, when we've come to Him, you know, in faith and in this despair, He always seems to work things out. And when we look at this, right, when we examine what God has done, God does great works. And and His works aren't for yesterday. His works aren't for tomorrow. His works are for today. And as we think about this, right, His works are for today. Jesus wants to release His power. He knows that, you know what, that the only way for Him to release it is when we do come to Him, asking Him. When we come to Him in need and, and trusting that, that, you know what, that He's able to fix the situation. You know, one of the things that, that as we examine our lives and we examine the things around us, Understand this is that when you are broken, when you are shattered, when you are spiritually bankrupt, God wants us to come to Him. And understand this about God is that He will meet you. And He will do what is best because He knows what's best. And He loves to make beauty out of ashes. He loves to restore all that is broken. And I want to share this scripture before we get into Matthew chapter 9. It's from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and it says this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Imagine that. As we look at this, right, he's going to supply all that we need according to his riches. He is so abundantly rich. And he says, by Christ Jesus. See, when you have a deep need... And when you have, and when it's mixed with faith, you know what, we believe the scriptures, we believe what he says here, that he's going to supply all of our needs. And I believe that when we came to know Jesus, when we came to surrender our lives to him, I believe that we were all, or most of us, had a deep need. Most of us were, were in a place of brokenness, most of us were in a place of of just needing Jesus to fix things. And when we see this, we're going to see and examine the lives of two people. Not just, you know, as we, as we go through the verse, but we're going to get deep down into, into their situation so that we can relate and that we can examine our lives and our heart to see if there's any, any commonality. And so with that, let's go ahead and, and begin to read in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 9. And it says there, 
While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. You know, as we look at this, right, when we look at the account from Matthew, I want you to know this. Matthew gives us a very condensed, summarized event of both these people, of of this ruler as well as this woman who was bleeding for 12 years. But when we look at the accounts from Mark and Luke, Mark and Luke give us much more detail on the details that that we really need to know what's going on, to see what's happening in in this event that Jesus had with these two people. And so what we're going to do today is that we're also going to look at the account from Luke. We're also going to look at the account from Matthew, but we're also going to be going back and forth from Luke and Matthew. And as we... As we're going to go into Luke, I just want you to have your, your fingers or your tabs on Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Not that we're going to go there now, but I want you to know that we're going to be jumping back and forth between Luke and Matthew. Okay? And so with this, let's read. Let's go verse by verse and see what the Lord has to share with us, what the Holy Spirit wants us to, to learn and what He wants to teach us. And so let's read verse 18. It says, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. You know, whenever there is scriptures, whenever there are verses, whenever there are, 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 are just these sentences that we have here, right? There's always key scriptures in every single verse. And there's key scriptures in every single verse in order to show us or to emphasize something that is important. Okay, that's why there's key scriptures. And actually the key scripture, when you look at the, uh, here in verse 18, it is a word, behold. Okay, I want you to know that this, this is the key scripture here. It is a word, behold. And the reason I say this is that whenever you see the word, behold, it means that something remarkable, something impressive is about to happen. Okay, that's something impressive, something remarkable, something that the reader wants you to pay attention to is about to happen. And so that's why whenever you see the word behold, look at what happens after that so that you can see and be able to comprehend what the Holy Spirit wants to share with us. He says there that a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, You know, as we look at this, right, a ruler, there was a ruler that came to Jesus, okay? And who exactly was this ruler? You know, why is this so important? When we go to 
And he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. The word thronged here means is that, is that they were crowding him, they were pressing him. And so as we see this, right, why is it so important? Why is it that, that the writer, and why is it that the Holy Spirit wants us to look at this ruler? I want you to understand why. I want you to know why this is so impressive. This is so remarkable. It's because you have a ruler named Jairus. And this ruler named Jairus is actually a chief elder of the synagogue there in Capernaum. So this man would have been a Pharisee. Okay? And remember Pharisees. Remember these were... They hated Jesus. Remember they didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And Jesus himself called them hypocrites. And so as he calls them hypocrites, and he says, you know what, you guys are so far from God, but yet you see a, fair, a, a, a ruler, a, a chief elder in that synagogue, that he comes and he does something that you wouldn't expect from a Pharisee. You wouldn't expect this from the chief elder at a synagogue. And what does he do that is so remarkable is that he worships Jesus. Remember, not every person is going to worship Jesus, especially a Pharisee, especially a chief elder. They hated Jesus. They hated what Jesus stopped, taught because he taught them the opposite of what they were doing. He revealed their hypocrisy. He revealed that they didn't have grace. He revealed that they didn't have love. He revealed that, you know what, they were so far from God that all they were into were this, was this religion. And as you know, this was a religious establishment that hated Jesus. But yet you have this ruler. And understand this ruler, as we look at this, right? He was a chief elder there in Capernaum. There was a synagogue in Capernaum. And we're not talking about Jerusalem because there were several synagogues. But there was one here in Capernaum. And I want to talk about this city of Capernaum. Remember, Jesus spent time here. We've been in Capernaum for a few weeks now, meaning through the scriptures. And what's happened here is this is where Peter lived. Remember, this is where that paralytic was, pull, uh, was, was brought down from the roof in front of Jesus. Remember how every single roof tile was taken out in order to have a big enough space to let down this man before Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus heals him. Jesus heals his paralytic and tells him to get up and to take his bed. And he does exactly that. He does a miracle before everyone. Capernaum was also the city where Matthew, the apostle, where he lived. Where he did his business. Remember, he was a tax collector. And Matthew, what he liked to do is he liked to take more than he had to, right? This is what tax collectors did. They were rich people because they overtaxed the people. They extorted the people. And so Matthew had his office there by the sea in Capernaum. Understand this. And so when Jesus calls him out, what does Matthew do? Matthew says, you know what? 
When Jesus called me and I followed him, you know what? I knew that there was something different. I knew that when I surrendered myself and I decided to follow Jesus, that there was a transformation in my life. I knew it deep down inside. I wasn't thinking the way I used to. I didn't want to do what I used to do. I had an immediate transformation. And based on this, I want others to know Jesus. And so what he does is he has a party. Remember, he had a big party. And who did he invite? He invited his fellow tax collectors. He invited the sinners. And during this feast, right, you have the disciples of John. They go to Jesus and, and they tell Jesus, Jesus, why is it that your disciples, you know what, your disciples don't fast like we do. They're not fasting like the Pharisees. Why aren't they fasting? And this is what we talked about last week. Remember as we shared this, right? That, you know what, that, that Jesus was telling them. That, you know what, that, that, you know, that what you do is it's just a holy hobby. It's only religious activities. Your hearts are far from me, right? Jesus wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want holy hobbies like coming to church just on Sunday and doing what you want to do throughout the week. Or, or just saying a simple prayer and, and just saying, bless me today, Jesus. That's no relationship. That's no communication. He wants us to read His Word and to understand that His Word is living and it's speaking to us. And this is what he wants, right? He wants, a relig- he wants a relationship with us. And he was telling the disciples of John, remember the disciples of John, they knew of God. But yet they were only in a religion. They were only experiencing and doing holy hobbies. But yet there was no change in them. There was no, they, weren't, they weren't obeying the Lord and, and walking by grace and loving on others. And so as this is going on, right? As they're asking Jesus these questions... That's when Jairus comes. That's when Jairus comes. The ruler of the synagogue there in Capernaum. The chief elder. The religious establishment that comes forth. And he worships Jesus. You know what's amazing about this? When we look at Matthew chapter uh, I mean, ver- uh, chapter 9 verse 18. He says that this ruler came and worshipped him. Okay. I want to share with you something that is so key. This is why this is so remarkable. This is why this is, this is like, like over the top. This is why there's a word, behold there. You know what this chief elder does? When you look at the word worship there, you want to know what that word worship means in the Greek? It is the word proskuneo. Proskuneo. And you know what that means? It means to kiss. He worshiped them with a kiss. Luke tells us that he fell at the feet of Jesus, so he was kissing the feet of Jesus. Imagine this, this, this Pharisee, this, this chief elder was kissing the feet of Jesus. He was worshiping Jesus. What causes a man, what causes a man or a woman, let's think about this. What causes a man or a woman to show such respect and such reverence, reverence to, to Jesus You know what causes someone to do that? When they're in deep need. I want you to understand this. When they are broken, when they are desperate, when they are in despair, this is what caused them to come before Jesus and to just lay himself before the feet of Jesus and to worship Jesus and to tell Jesus, I need you. I need your help. 
See, Matthew tells us, what does Matthew tell us? That his daughter just died. Luke actually tells us that his daughter was dying. But I want you to know there's no mistake here. Remember, Matthew is just giving us a summary. Matthew is just summarizing the event. He's not giving us the details that we need. And so that's why we went into Luke. And I want to give you this detail from Luke. Because when we look at, the, at Luke's account, he says there in verse 42 that she was only 12 years old. Imagine this. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. And she was dying. She was dying. Think about this, right? When we think about this, right? He only had only one daughter. And she's dying. When we look at our children. For those of you that are parents. If you knew that your child was dying. If you knew that your child was sick. I think you would do everything in your power. To help him or her, wouldn't we? I think we would, right? Every single one of us that have children would do everything in your power to help. And as we see this, right? As we see what's happening here, many times, and I guarantee you Jairus, as he knew his daughter was sick, he had gone to the physicians. He had gone to others. He had gone for help, but he knew that no one can heal her. But yet he comes to a point of finally realizing, you know what? I need God. I am so desperate. I need to come to Jesus. I need to come to Him. And I need you, Jesus, to lay your hands on her. And I know that she will live. I've seen what you've been doing. I hear about the miracles that you're doing. I hear about this power that is being released from you. And I need you. And I'm coming here. And I'm bowing before you. And I am worshiping you. This man had given himself to Jesus Christ. He had surrendered himself. Look at his actions. And I'm going to give you seven points today. I want to give you seven points. And I'm going to give you these seven points so that we can walk away with remembering the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to remember. The things that will transform us. The things that, 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 that reveal to us that what God can do. See, when you look at Jairus, Jairus was desperate. He was desperate. He wanted his daughter saved. He wanted his 12-year-old, his only daughter, to live. And the first point that I'm going to give you, deep need, deep desperation will bring you to Jesus. Deep need or a deep desperation will bring you to Jesus. Okay? Let's think about this. Most of us come to Jesus, right? Because we're in a desperate situation. Most of us come to Jesus because you know what? The world around us is falling apart. You know what? I've made a mess out of things. Maybe your kids are sick. Maybe you're the one that's sick. Maybe your spouse is, is, you know what? You're having problems with your spouse. Maybe you find out your spouse is having an affair. Maybe, you know what? Something is happening to you personally. Maybe your kids are messed up. Maybe you're messed up. Maybe you're an addict. Maybe you're just like tired of the life that you've been living. And you want Jesus, you want help. And you heard of people coming to God and God helping them. And so you come too. See, when we are in desperate need, we come to Jesus. I know I came to Jesus for this very reason. You want to know why I came to Jesus? I was messed up and I desperately needed His help. I was in a lawsuit. And I want to share this with you. My marriage wasn't good. It was, it was going bad. 
I had made a mess out of my marriage. It wasn't good. And I needed God. I needed God in my life. I needed God to restore things. I needed God to say, you know what? I can fix it. And I went to Him and I asked Him, you know what, God? Fix it. Fix my life. Take care of this lawsuit. You know what? I I love my wife. And you know what? I, I came to a place of realizing, you know what? I don't want to lose my wife. I think we all have a personal testimony when it comes to why we came to Jesus. But there was a desperate need within you. You needed Jesus. You knew things in your life were messed up. See, we're all sinners. And because of this sin and because of our sin, we know that pain and hardship follows. It just happens. I want you to know that it happens. And tears and sorrow are brought right into our lives. And when you come to a point, just like Jairus, of acknowledging, of humbling yourself, and knowing that you're in a mess, and you desperately need Jesus, guess what? He comes. He comes. That's what's so amazing is that, you know what? He comes into your life. When you come to Him, understand this. He comes into your life. This is why he tells us in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every single one of us, we have burdens. We get tired. We see what life brings us and we want rest from these things. And this is what Jesus promises. He says, when you come to me, understand this, you will find rest. You know, what's so awesome about Jesus? What's so awesome about Jesus is this. Is that when you come to him, he doesn't reject you. This is what's so awesome about him. Is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how terrible of a sinner you are. It doesn't matter if you're the chief of sinners. It doesn't matter how bad you treated your wife, your spouse, your children. He doesn't care how messed up you are. If you come humbly before Him, repenting and asking Him into your life, He receives you. See, what's so amazing about this, and I'm going to give you point number two, is Jesus will meet you wherever you are. See, there are many people, and I think most of us, most of us can attest to this. How many of you have shared Jesus about, you've shared God with others, and what they tell you, right, is they say, you know what, you tell them, you know, come to church, or you need God in your life, and you tell them, come and listen to the word, come and hear what, what God speaks through his word. I know he's going to speak to you, and they say, you know what, I don't want to go to church yet. I don't want to be at church. He says, not until I get right, I'll go to church. How many of you have heard someone tell you that? How many of you have said it yourself? Okay, I think many of us say, right? We want to get right before we come to church. We want to make sure that we're right. I want to share this with you. You're never going to be right. This is what Jesus says. He wants you coming asking for help. Just like Jairus. Jairus came. 
And he came asking for help. And this is what he tells in the Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. He says this. There, let us therefore come boldly. He says come with confidence to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find help. Find grace to help in time of need. Imagine that. Jesus is telling us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know when you look at the life of Jairus. You know what, a guy that thought he knew God based on religion, based on holy hobbies. But yet he had no relationship with God. And yet he comes now desperate. And he comes boldly into before Jesus and he says, Jesus, I need your help. And then verse 19 goes on to say, so Jesus arose and followed him. And so did his disciples. Luke In verse 42, there in chapter 8, he says that Jesus went. Jesus went. Jesus follows. That's what's so amazing about God is he'll meet you and he'll go with you. And for us, when we surrender our lives with Jesus, he comes to dwell in us. That's what's so awesome. Do you know that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that God begins to dwell in you? So amazing. How this happens, it's a supernatural work of God. But we know that He dwells in my heart. I know that He dwells in me. Because I'm not the same anymore. I'm a different person. I think differently. I do differently. Because Jesus lives and dwells in me. And He's constantly checking me. When I want to sin, there's a conviction that I hear. That I have in my heart. And I know who that is. That's the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in me. That's telling me, hey, don't do that. There's times that I ignore the voice. And I do it. But I'll tell you this. There's more times that I listen and I don't do it. As we go now into verse 20, it says, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. You have a woman here that has a flow of blood for 12 years. And we just read about a 12-year-old girl. You see the similarities here? There's a 12-year-old girl that is dying. And then you have a a woman that for 12 years has had a flow of blood. She's been bleeding. What does Luke chapter 8 verse 43 tell us about this woman? It tells us that she was a woman that had a flow of blood for 12 years. Who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Imagine that. This woman became poor. She became poor. She was giving all her money to all the doctors to be healed. And no doctor could fix her. And when you look at this, I want to give you also just one scripture from Mark on this account. And it's from Mark chapter 5 verse 26. It tells us that she suffered a lot. And she grew worse. She suffered a lot. And she grew worse. Why was she suffering? You know, she just had a flow of blood for 12 years. Why would you suffer? Understand this. She was sick. She was getting worse. She lost all her money. But most of all, I truly believe this is why. And we get this from Leviticus chapter 15, beginning in verse 25. When you look at the law of God. It's, it's, it says that somebody who has a continual bleeding, that has a, a, a bleeding that just continues beyond her normal period, 
is unclean. Let's read this. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than that at the time of her customary impurity, her period, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of her impurity. And whatever she sits on shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Understand this. This woman had become unclean for 12 years. Understand this. She knew it. She had to tell everybody, all of her Jewish friends, all of her Jewish family, all of her, anybody that knew her. She had to tell them, I am unclean. You know what she became? She became isolated. She was on her own. She was left alone for 12 years. No family could be with her. No friends could be with her. Not even her husband if he was with her. If she was married. Did you know that he could not sleep with her or he would be unclean? This woman was rejected for 12 years. Imagine that. 12 years rejected. Being isolated and all alone. You think she's in despair? Absolutely. You think she's desperate? Absolutely. You think she's in need? Absolutely. And guess who she comes to? She says, everyone else has rejected me. No one else wants me. But guess what? There's one that does. And you know what his name is? Jesus. This is what's so amazing. See, when I look at this, right? Imagine all the pain and the sorrow. Imagine the hopelessness that she had. The isolation. The misery for 12 years. But you know what's so amazing about this? Is that God doesn't reject you. No matter how alone you are. No matter how hopeless things are. No matter if you're isolated or rejected by others. Jesus does not do this. And one thing about Jesus is that he can do what no other man can do. You know what Jesus does? Jesus can heal. He does the impossible. Look at what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 10 verse 27. With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Imagine this. God turns the impossibility into a possibility. That's what's so awesome about God. Everything that you think that man can't do, God can. And these are the miracles that God does. See, you and I serve a great God, and we must never forget this, that a great God does great things. Rest in that. Ponder on that. Say that to yourself. Remind yourself that I serve a great God. And if our God is great, then this God can do great things. And this is what I love. This is what I love about Jesus, because I know that He's great. I know that He holds everything together. I know that by His Word, we stand where we stand. That the universe is in its perfect order, in its perfect structure. That the sun is shining the way it shines. That the sun stays in its position. That the earth rotates as it does. That gravity is holding things together and it's all by the spoken word of God. He is a mighty God. And this mighty God that we have does great things. And when you are in desperate need, when you are in despair, when you are in need, He is there to help. As we go on and we look into Luke 8:44, it says this about this woman. She came from behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately 
her flow of blood stopped. You know what's so awesome about this? And I'm going to give you the third point. Is to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus as you are. See, I mentioned to you earlier that, you know what, that many times we, we say, you know what, Lord, I want to get cleaned up before I come to you. But when we see the example of this woman, this woman wasn't saying that. She came to Jesus. And what's so awesome about this is that, see, you and I can never make Jesus dirty. You and I can never make him unclean. You know what's so awesome about us and Jesus is that when we come to us, it only works one way, is that he makes us clean. We don't make him unclean. And when we come to Jesus as he cleans you, guess what? You become a trophy of his grace. Believe me, every single one of us needs cleaning. The Bible says that there is not one good, no, not one. We are all sinners. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what's so amazing about God is that God turns sinners into winners. That's what He does. He, makes a, he transforms our lives and, and He makes us different. He makes us new. We're trophies of His grace so that people can see us and say, Wow, look at you. You're different. You're not the same anymore. And this happens because what? We allow Jesus into our lives. We allow Him to make us right. We allow Him to make us clean. And as we keep reading in Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 45, it says that Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitude's throng and press you. Remember, they're, they're crowding you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. You know what's awesome about this? What's, what's incredible about this? Is that there were crowds of people that were following Jesus. And as a crowd of people that were following Jesus. Ushers, I think she needs help here. If someone can help her. She's okay? Okay. So going back. Let's pray for her. Lord, we just pray for this woman, Lord. We pray for healing upon her, Lord. We pray that you touch her from heaven above and by faith, Lord. We believe that you can and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go back, as we're reading here the scriptures, right, we look at Luke chapter 8. Jesus is saying, who touched me? And understand this about this, right? Is that it says that everyone denied it. Everyone that was around Jesus, imagine that, Jesus with authority, right? Because when he spoke, he spoke with authority. He said, I know somebody touched me. So he turns around and says, who touched me? And everybody's looking at Jesus and saying, I didn't touch you. I didn't touch you. And you say, I mean, it says they're all denied it. All those that were around Jesus denied it. And Peter and then say, come on, Jesus. People are pressing on you. People are crowding you. I mean, how could you say who touched you? But the difference between those that were crowding and pressing, the difference between them and this woman was that this woman came with faith. And Jesus immediately knew that power had been released from him. See, he knew 
that power had left him. And this is point number four. A deep need mixed with faith releases the power of God. A deep need mixed with faith releases the power of God. See, the fact that this woman believed, you know what, I've been an outcast for 12 years. This bleeding doesn't stop for 12 years, but I believe that God can heal me. I believe that if I touch the garment of Jesus, that I will be healed. See, there's a faith. It's not faith in the garment. It's faith in the one that is wearing the garment. That's what she has her faith in. And see, and this was her, right? She had this deep need. She had this deep need and and she mixed it with faith. And immediately there was healing. Some of you may be wondering and some of you may be thinking, well, you know what? I've been praying and I have faith. And yet Jesus hasn't healed me. What's going on here? I mean, is this a contradiction? I want you to know it is not a contradiction because no matter what, when you have a need and you come to Jesus by faith, His power is released. It may not be released the way you see it or the way you want it to be released, but understand this, His power is in fact released. And let me reveal this to you from 2 Chronicles, I mean 2 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 7. It says this, And lest I should be exalted above measure... By the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, Paul had a thorn in his flesh. I want you to know this. Paul had a disease. Paul had an ailment. Whatever it was, people say it was his eye. There was a lot of oozing. He couldn't really see out of it. There was a problem with his eye. Or people say it was some other infirmity, some other health issue. And Paul, what he was doing is he was pleading with Jesus. Take it away from me, Jesus. Take it away. I believe, and we know the faith of Paul. Paul had faith that was beyond some of our faith, right? He had faith. He had a need. But yet Jesus didn't heal him. But it doesn't mean that the power of God was not released. Because he says there, he says, you know what? That I boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, because when I am weak, then he is strong. See, when you are weak, know this, that if you are a child of God, if God has chosen to allow you to stay in the infirmity for the time being, it doesn't minimize the power of God because the power of God will be seen through you. So when we are going through problems, when we are going through ailments, it is not for us to wait, to wait on to go into our room and shut the door and to say, you know what, Lord, I'm a mess. I don't want to keep living. I want to give up. See, for you and I, we are not quitters. Christianity is not about quitting. Christianity is about allowing people to see the power of God in and through you. See, when we are weak, God is strong. 
See, when people see you through your ailments, you can still hold a smile on your face. You can still walk around and smile and tell people, you know what, I'm okay. People know that you're going through a divorce. People know that you have a fatal illness. People know that you're, you know what, that your kids are sick. And yet you can still smile. Why? Because the power of God rests upon you. For when I am weak, He is strong. And this brings glory and honor to the Lord. And this is what the Lord expects from us. As we go back to the woman in Luke chapter 8 verse 47. It says, Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before Him. She declared to Him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched Him and how she was healed immediately. See, there was no way. The woman couldn't hide anymore. Everybody was saying, I didn't touch you, Jesus. And Jesus is looking at her. And so she says, as she came trembling, she fell down before him. And she began to declare in the presence of all people the reason why she touched him and how she was healed immediately. See, this woman knew. She says, I am going to be a testimony now for Christ. I want you all to know that Jesus has healed me. I want to be a testimony to, re- to reveal what Jesus does in the lives of people. See, Jesus called her out so that she can give a testimony. She could have just stayed quiet and just said, yeah, I'm the one that touched him and, and that's it. But no, she begins to say, I was sick, but I am well. I was bleeding, but I'm no longer bleeding. See, what's so amazing about this? is that this woman serves as a great testimony. And look at what it says in Luke 8, verse 48. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I want to share this with you because when people look at this verse, you know what the people say many times? Oh, you know what? Look at the woman that bled for 12 years. It was her faith that made her well. You know what? They're wrong. It wasn't her faith that made her well. You know what this means here? When we look at this word, because Matthew chapter 8 here in verse 22 also says that her faith made her well. When you look at the word well, you know what it means in the Greek? It is a word, so diesel. And this means save. In other words, her faith saved her. It wasn't her faith healed her. Her faith saved her. I want us to understand that, that her faith saved her. And you know what healed her? God's grace and mercy. Because she came to Him. See, we must understand this. This is why we look at the verses the way we look at them. This is why we teach the way we teach them. And this is the fifth point that I want to share with you. That faith in Jesus saves. There is nothing else that can save you. Nothing else that can save you. Believe me. If you want to be saved, the only way for you to be saved is through Jesus Christ. See, unless you place your faith in Jesus, you're never going to be saved. You can place yourself, your faith in people. You can place your faith in saints. You can place your faith in any other man, and none of that will ever save you. What saves you is faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why Acts 4.12 reveals this to us. It says, nor is there salvation in any other, no other thing, no other person, no moon God, no sun God, no stars, nothing can save you. No people can save you. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is what's so awesome. 
And this is why we come to a place of finally realizing, you know what? Jesus is the only one that's saved. Look at your life before Jesus. Or look at your life apart from Jesus. You're still the same. If you're still doing the same things that you've been doing, then guess what? It's time to get right with Jesus. And allow His salvation to bring this newness of life into you. You know, as we go reading back to Matthew in verse 23, it says this. It says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house, I'm going to stop there. When He came back into the house of Jairus, we're shifting back now to Jairus. But let's go to Luke chapter 8 in verse 49. It says this. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. You know, as we look at this, you know what, when Jairus, imagine you as a parent, imagine you as a parent, parent, if you were to hear that your child has passed away, the great despair, the great fear that overcomes you, you have this, this emotion that begins to take over. And this is what Jesus saw as he looked at the face of Jairus. He looked at his face and he said, do not be afraid, only believe. Believe in me, believe in what I can do. See, Jesus knew what was going to happen. And what's so amazing about Jesus is that he used this woman that was bleeding for 12 years to encourage Jairus. To build up his faith. See, I'm going to give you point number six. Jesus releases his power to encourage others. Jesus releases his power to encourage others. When we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Understand this, is that this woman that was bleeding for 12 years was used as an example to encourage Jairus. It was to build up his faith, just like many of us. You know what, when we go through problems, you know that your problems have been given to you for a reason. And one of those reasons is to encourage others after Jesus brings healing upon you. This is what's so awesome about Jesus. And when you see people... When you see somebody, right, that is down, when you see them like on their own, and I see this all the time at church, and believe me, I'm, when I see this happening, I'm usually saying to one of, the, one of the brothers or the sisters here, go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. See, this is something that God has given me to be able to see with His eyes of compassion. And the reason why we have this is because we are to... We are to to share what God has done through our lives. And the people that He sends are able to comfort them. See, because when you ask them what is going on in your life, and they share with you, this is what's going on, and this is what has happened to me. And guess what? Your experience, what God has brought you out from, the comfort that He has given you, He expects you now to comfort them. 
And this is how Jesus works. See, we can't hold these things that God has done in our lives to ourselves. These things that God has shown us and, go, and allowed us to go through, they are used, they are to be used for others. Remember, we got to stop hoarding these things to ourselves. It's about others. It's about God first and others second. And this is what you see here. How this woman that was bleeding for 12 years was used as an instrument to comfort Jairus and to build up his faith. Believe me, he was without hope. And yet, as he saw her, he was reminded. And as Jesus is saying, believe, believe. As we keep reading in verse 23, it says there, Let's read the whole thing again. It says, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Jesus sees flute players. Jesus sees these wailers. For us, this isn't really something that we are used to, right? How many of us are used to this type of scenery not many of us right usually when we are going to a funeral home we like to exercise what silence don't we when we go to funerals believe me everyone is somber everyone is mourning everyone is silent but not in a jewish culture you know what they do they start playing flutes and then they also start wailing and believe me they would hire professional wailers To get everybody into the mood of mourning and wailing. And they would rip their clothes. And they would wear this clothes for some time. For the women, did you know that they would rip their undergarment? But to not expose themselves, they would wear it backwards and they would let people see the the ripped clothes. Can you believe this? This is what they did. This was part of, of their religion. But as we see this, right? We're reminded of one important thing. That Jesus reminds them that, he's, that she's only sleeping. She's only sleeping. And we see here that people ridiculed him. See, not everybody believed. I want you to know this. Not everybody believed. Even though Jesus did all these miracles, there's people that still don't believe. When people see the miracles in your lives... Does everyone believe in Jesus? You would think to yourself, right? I mean, if if people knew who I was before, family and friends, and they see who I am now, you would think that automatically they would say, you know what? Jesus is real. If they were to see your lives, you would expect them to say, you know what? Jesus is real. Look at the miracles that he does. But not everybody believes that. Just like here. People don't believe. They see transformed lives, but yet they're so hardened, just like we were, and they don't believe. But we know one thing is that Jesus assures them of one thing, that she's only sleeping. And verse 25 does, says this, But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl rose. And the report of this went out into all the land. I want to share this with you. Jesus. He is the only one that has power over life. 
There is no other one that has power over, over life. There's no one else that can bring the dead back to life. Yes, we have machines that will, you know what, when you have a heart attack, they'll, you know what, they, they pump you and they bring you back to life. But it's not a person that speaks it and says, come back to life. Jesus is the only one that can do this. And this is a God that we serve. And you know what's so awesome about Jesus is he says, you know what, I'm going to show you. I'm going to be an example for you to believe. He says, you know what, I'm going to die on the cross and in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And you know what's so amazing about this? Is that every other great man that the world says that are great men, like Buddha and Mohammed, and other great men that the world says are great, you know what's the difference between them and Jesus Christ? Is that you can find their bodies in the grave. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no body to be found. This is the God that we serve. And this is what He shows us. And this is what He displayed as He died on the cross and rose from the dead. And this is the scripture that I want to leave you with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 55 says this. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what's so amazing about God. And this is point number seven, that Jesus has power over death. Every single one of us are afraid or were afraid of dying. How many of you were afraid of dying? I think most of us, right? None of us want to face death. We all have a fear of death. But Jesus said in his word that he came to destroy the one that brought fear, the fear of death. This is Jesus Christ. See, none of us, believe me, if I die today, I know where I'm going. And there is the assurance that we have as believers. See, before I became, before I had a relationship with Jesus Christ, when I was in religion, believe me, I never had this assurance. I was hoping that I'd go to heaven. I said, at least I'll make it to purgatory and somebody will pray for me out of purgatory. And I was a fool for thinking that because who's going to be praying for me when I'm gone? But now as a believer, I have the assurance. I believe and I know for a fact where I'm going. And this is what Jesus wants to show us. He says, I can bring the dead to life and I can give you life, eternal life. As he closes off in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He says, based on what Jesus has done, may your faith be steadfast, may stand firm in him, may be immovable, may not move, may not be like the waves of the sea that go back and forth, may it stand firm, may be immovable, because know this, that when you place your faith in God, it is real. And you stand firm on that. See, this is what's so amazing about these events. He says, and he reminds us that when we are in desperate need, and you mix that with faith, understand this, God's power will be released. We can rest in it. We can trust in it. We can trust in the word of God. And this is why, as his word says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
The scriptures that I've given to you, the scriptures that the Lord gave you, they serve to increase your faith and to believe. And with that, we're going to close. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just the things that you taught us today, Lord. And I pray that these things that you taught us, Lord, that they would take residence, that they would begin to take root within our hearts. But we know that there are some here that may not be walking by faith or may not have even placed their faith in you. That have never even experienced your power because they have no faith. Or they haven't given their faith or placed it in you. I'm going to give you now an opportunity if there's anyone here. If there's anyone here that wants to place their faith in Jesus Christ. To experience the blessings and the power and the goodness and the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God. I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Anybody?